Morning, everyone. This is Injured Preserve Podcast with your host, me, myself, and I, Mitchell Anderson. So first things first, I wake up this morning, right? Stretch up, get out of bed, you know, kind of get ready for the gym, whatnot. Take a little pre-workout, get that little kick, and uh, about to start my day. Um, So (laughs) I check my phone, and I see more drama. (laughs) This time, uh, that last week, it was the Mike McCarthy, Aaron Rodgers whole kind of thing them going back and forth and the toxicity of the locker room this and that and now (laughs) i wake up this morning and i see a b tweeting about how juju fumbled this and that you know just craving the typical diva wide receiver drama you know anything that we saw in the past with the terrell owens randy moss chad ochocinco you get the gist of it right so I don't get, I never seen someone so self-righteous, bitter, like the man was unhappy in Pittsburgh. Cool. Got it. You know, I'm a, me being a Pittsburgh Steelers fan, I get it. Okay. You know, the relationship is just, it's unparalleled. It's, you know, it's time to let things go. Got it. That's fine. Cool. Go be happy somewhere else. You know, I appreciate what you did for our, our eight, nine seasons with us. Goes to Oakland, gets traded, you know, (laughs) starts doing all these videos with Derek Carr and going to Oakland and with the helmet, meeting John Gruden, this and that. It's like, cool, he's happy, you know, new beginnings, fresh start, awesome, good luck. (sighs) You know, all comes to find out, Juju Smith-Schuster wins team MVP this past season and someone is salty about it in Oakland I don't get why AB is still you know craving this kind of social media attention like man you would think most athletes they kind of like to simmer away from that and you know some athletes do thrive on it it's not just AB Odell Beckham is a prime example LeBron James uh you know there's there's a few but it's just like bro it's like man you gotta let this go (laughs) It's like you 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 got what you wanted. You you wanted out of Pittsburgh, you traded. You you wanted more guaranteed money, you got 30 mil in Oakland, new spot. It's like bro, like what more do you want? Like I don't I don't get this drama with you. It's just it's unhealthy. It's not gonna it's not gonna improve your game. And I see the workouts, he's working out on IG and going to you know games and Golden State, this and that. It's just like, man, like, Pittsburgh, like, I don't get, like, he's he's just one of those people. It's like a breakup relationship. He, it gets to the point where it's just like, man, like, it's like he broke up with Pittsburgh. And Pittsburgh was heartbroken. But now they're healing themselves. And now they see a fresh start with James Conner, Juju Smith-Schuster, other younger talents like a James Washington, you know. So it's just like, man, like, he's mad that his ex is moving on while he got moved on with someone else. Put it that way. So it's just like, it's kind of like a, I don't know what you want to call it, maybe a narcissistic 
type personality. I don't know if it's somewhere along the lines of that. I don't know the signs of that. Don't quote me on that. But he's very self-possessive, very controlling. It's what it seems to be. So, you know, I'm just looking at this like, man, like 30 mil, 30 mil guarantee traded to Oakland, wanted out of Pittsburgh. I'm just trying to think like I get him and Ben, they clashed. Okay. But it's just like, man, be like frozen and just let it go. You know, (laughs) the dude just keeps egging on this controversy. It's just like, it's almost like he has too much time on his hands. You know, I see, like I said, I, I follow him on IG. I see the workouts. You know, he's playing with his sons or he's at the pool or he's at a game or he's hanging out with a few buddies. And even then, he's still, he's, it seems like, I don't know, he just can't move on. He just can't handle the fact that someone that he broke up with is finally healing, finally to become more mature, let things go. Realize it is what it is. You know, life goes on. A James Conner, a Juju, a TJ Watt, you know, a Bud Dupree. Younger guys, younger talent. We're trying to keep on staying relevant in the franchise. You're, you're 30, 31. It's like, okay, cool. We got your prime years for the most part. I say about two, three years. Three years at best. He, he'll, Oakland will get from him. I say about two. Then I, I think he starts to slowly decline after that. Wideouts don't, you know, once they hit about, they peak out around, give or take, 32, 33. But, of course, you know, there is that rare occurrence like a, a Larry Fitzgerald. He's been phenomenal. The fact that, you know, that man is like 35, 36, still putting up numbers of 900 yards, 1,000 yards receiving. Then perhaps, you know, an A-B's work ethic? Possibly. The problem is Larry Fitzgerald is a bigger guy. So A-B being 5'10", that can only get you so far, you know, always being the quick guy. Eventually, your speed is going to deteriorate the older you get. So, I don't know. That's why I think at best two years, or at best three years, but I think he'll, he'll slowly decline after the second year in Oakland. Another question is, John Gruden, him being in Oakland, it's just like he seems all smiles, all laughs. And it's just you got to think, man, John Gruden is that old school head coach mentality of the early 2000s and 90s. You know, you, th- you thought he, he got away with so much in Pittsburgh recording live on the Facebook video after a playoff win, you know, while Mike Tomlin's giving a speech to the team. And it's just like all eyes on me like pot. But in a selfish in a selfish manner. So, with that being said, uh, man, I it's gonna be. I'm really curious how this season's gonna go, especially with him and Derek Carr. You know, Larry Fitzgerald said it best this this off season. He said, "Hey, you know, AB's gonna have some work cut out for him. I'm happy for him, but it's it's a rare occurrence to find a good quarterback that you can have a connection with, like he had with Big Ben. So." Larry Fitz isn't really dissing on anyone that he's personally played with, but he's been in the struggle. Arizona had, has had a couple rough years. You know, they they um, they really haven't been relevant since Carson Palmer retired for the most part. You know, I think their last playoff appearance was about 
three seasons ago. Uh, I think it was a Green Bay Divi- divisional or wild card round, give or take. But uh, either way, you know, Larry Fitz for the he's played with the very you know the only consistent quarterbacks he had was Carson Palmer and Kurt Warner. Other than that, you know, flip flop from a Josh McCown or a Josh Rosen that they have now. So he knows the struggle being a prime wideout receiver, being a superstar, and not having your go-to um, quarterback that you see eye to eye with. It's a hard and rare thing to see or to get, excuse me. But um, with that being said, um, you know, AB his his. The drama continues, and we still got about four seasons up until preseason, or excuse me, four months up until the preseason starts. So, who knows how that's gonna go? You know, we still got a lot of time. More drama, I'm sure, was sure to come out of AB and whoever else. But um, let me switch things up. I mentioned Odell earlier. Odell Beckham had traded from the Giants to Cleveland. And what I don't get is the Giants gave him a contract extension and then they trade him. I mean, <laughs> how many of those teams if Odell wanted to get traded, he listed Cleveland. <laughs> I doubt it was top three, top five, not even close to top 10. Maybe top 15, but that's highly unlikely. So... Odell, he had a little conference, you know, conference. He got introduced to the team last week. And, you know, he's meeting with Baker Mayfield and uh, Duke Johnson and the head coach, Freddie Kitchens, and uh, Miles Garrett. Gets there, and you can just tell the emotion from, you know, just facial and physical, you know, all slumped. You could tell he's just as heartbroken as AB was when he left Pittsburgh. They just don't want to admit it. They don't want to be open about it. And again, this goes for the, you know, the whole diva category. Like AB, Odell was like, you know, once he made that significant catch in the Dallas game when he was in New York on a Sunday night, fingertips, you know, catching in the end zone, and that made made him who, you know, as big as he was, making the Madden cover the following season. If he doesn't make that catch, you know, how many times are we really talking about him? Now, he puts up solid numbers, no doubt. Granted, the, the, about a season or prior to that, he got hurt. But nonetheless, I mean, four, five seasons in, he's got about over 5,000 yards receiving. So he's on pace to easily get 10K in his career if he stays healthy. Now the better question is, if he does get that 10K in his career, is it really going to be contributing to a team effort or just himself? And, you know, (laughs) it seemed with him, as long as he got his stats just like AB, everything was cool, calm, and collected. It didn't matter if it was a W, L, or tie. As long as he got, you know, throwing the ball 15, 20 times a game, getting 10, 12 grabs a game, cool. As long as he's getting those targets, no doubt, you know, that's cool. You know, Eli Manning, 
you know, <laughs> Eli Manning is, he's, uh, I don't mean to laugh, because, you know, truth be told, I mean, Super Bowl MVP, somehow, <laughs> two Super Bowls, all against Tom Brady, and Eli's just a deer in the headlights regular season, but once he gets to the playoffs, it's like a Thanos snap, and, you know, he's just, he's focused, he's there, and he's playing like he's throwing the ball like Dan Marino I don't get it but (laughs) I don't know how but Eli Manning playoffs totally different energy compared to Eli Manning in the regular season but not to get too off track Eli would give give Odell Beckham his targets and (laughs) as long as that you know as long as he was getting those 15 20 targets a game he was cool but once you know he was getting once Eli got benched and they put in whoever it was. I can't even name the players on, on the Giants anymore. They would, you know, <laughs> he was only getting six, seven, maybe eight targets. Get two, maybe three receptions, 40, 50 yards. That's it. You know, then it became a problem. Then he started being mad. Then he started being outrageous and being open to the public. Then he would, you know... A week before a wild card game from New York a couple of seasons back, he goes to Miami and parties, posts an IG with all the boys. It's like, I got no problem with you doing your thing and partying. But truth be told, you know, me being a, as a fellow teammate, if I was a teammate or a player, you know, I want your mindset right. Not, you know, like, hey, cool, we made the playoffs. I'm going to go vacation in Miami for a day or two. It's just like, no, like need to put in the work it's like we we want a ring we want a championship not you know it's like cool you know participation trophy wild card round awesome it's like no it it don't work like that but like I said I think you know he was at the conference in Cleveland stating how you know he doesn't want doesn't want to be selfish this and that you know I got a good legacy going so at the same time you're kind of contradicting your argument because legends don't talk about their legacy while they're playing. They just put in the work, they show up, that's it. So you say you don't want to be make it about you, but yet at the same time you talk about your legacy. So, I don't know, man. You know, some wideouts, they get all these stats, they get all these receptions, they get all these yards, they get all these touchdowns, they get all this hype, the spotlight, they don't get a ring. So, it just, it is what it is. Phenomenal players, fun to watch, outstanding, highlight reel, but no championship rings. So, it's just like, okay, whatever, it is what it is. You know, sometimes ignorance is bliss. But, with that being said, I'm going to take a quick little break, and you are listening to Injured Reserve Podcast. Welcome back to Engine Reserve Podcast. So this past week has not only been full of drama when it comes to Diva wideout personalities, but also a lot of drama when it comes to the NCAA March Madness. There's a reason why they call it madness. And man, especially when it comes to, you know, buzzer beaters or 
whatever it may be, controversial calls, definitely in the category of controversial calls this past weekend. Of course, I'm referring to is the Virginia and Auburn game. Now, some people may not like the call. You know, it was iffy, it was ticky-tack, whatever it may be. Yeah, that's the era of basketball nowadays. I mean, whether college or pro, but... I feel like in certain moments like that, you got to let the players play, but rules are rules, I guess, and I don't agree with it. Um, so in the final seconds, you know, to, like I said, I'm going to stick with my stance. I think Auburn got ripped. If I was a Tigers fan, I, I'd, be, I'd be vivid. But either way, you know, Virginia won uh, by one. For, uh, the player was clutch, was able to make all three free throws as he get fouled from the three-point line. As the Auburn player was coming to defend him, he comes up, puts his hands behind his back because he knew he was going to somewhat make some type of contact with him, but it wasn't like rough enough for him to fall. Of course, the player, you know, probably being taught by the coach, you know, certain scenarios, you know, to try and get a call flop on the ground, make it good, make it dramatic, but don't make it too obvious. And that's exactly what he did. So the player falls, you know, and, you know, everyone knows the rules behind a three-point line. That player gets three free throw attempts. He comes to the clutch. They were, they were down 62 to 60 with less than a second to play. He, may, he nails all three. And Auburn, of course... They don't have any timeouts left at, the, at that point. And, you know, they huck, huck the ball down the court and they didn't even have a chance. So, with that being said, you know, it, it, it just, it's, it's just kind of, you know, it sucks on how the game ended that way. Auburn came down, you know, they were down, what, 10 with less than five minutes to play. They go on a 14-0 run. Momentum on their side, you know. And it's just to end, to end their season like that. Like, man, I don't. as a player, as a coach, as a fan, it don't matter who you are, you got to feel sour about that. You know, it kind of made me reminisce of um, two seasons ago in the NFL when Pittsburgh was facing New England. And the call came down to as Jesse James was reaching forward for the end zone for a touchdown to take the lead late in the game, as time is about to expire, he leaps in towards the end zone, but they call, he's leading forward with the ball, if people remember this, and they called it incomplete, but he was making, you know, reaching for the end zone, as he caught the ball above his mid stride, and he's reaching towards the line, and the officials called it incomplete. This game, this game was, you know, New England at Pittsburgh. So, and it's just, man, it was a significant game of the season, too, because both of them were head-to-head in the AFC. It was near the end of the season. It was in December, cold weather, and New England and Pittsburgh, one seed, two seed. It was back-and-forth battle, regular season. And uh, whoever won that game was going to solidify a one seed in the NFL playoffs. So, 
course, uh, they reversed the call. It wasn't a touchdown. So Pitt, you know, Ben eventually, eventually he tries to make a play. I can't exactly remember the details. It's a little hazy at this point, but either way, he ends up throwing a touchdown or uh, excuse me, an interception in the end zone, and that's the ball game. Also brought me up another reminder. It's like the what was it, ninety two, maybe ninety three. <clears throat> excuse me. I think it was the 92 maybe I could be wrong or maybe 94 I don't know it was early 90s either way uh the fab five era you know all five freshmen from Michigan Wolverines starting Jalen Rose Juwan Howard Chris Weber um god the other two I can never remember off the top of my head but um either way they you know they start off with three freshmen, and eventually it was a rare thing. I don't think it, it was. It never happened before of a college basketball team starting a starting five of all five freshmen. So Michigan became big for that. That trend came huge. Uh, you know, it just their their style, their their style, their cultural impact on the game. You know, being that young generation at the time, the '90s was the big thing. Uh, with music and the influence of that on from artists to performances in the sports and you know when you look back before prior to the Fab Five you know everything was kind of like boring I wouldn't say boring but like style wise you know there was no baggy short baggy shorts basketball shorts or whatever you know no black socks it was everything had to be a team color or a certain type of way. You know, they were wearing the black socks. They were the rebels. They were talking trash. Think, you know, things like that. They were confident. You know, it's certain like a University of Miami swagger to them. But in college basketball. So I'm getting a little off topic here. But what I'm trying to say is it remind me of the championship game of them when they faced North Carolina. In the final in final 20, 30 seconds, you know, Michigan, <laughs> it's the uh, infamous timeout game where Michigan calls a timeout with less than 30 seconds to go, somewhere around there. And, you know, they're told, everyone's told, there's no timeouts left, you know, so let's get this board and, you know, Let's do what we got to do to get this point. Because they're down they're down one, I believe. Or maybe two. But either way, Chris Weber grabs the board. Grabs the ball. And they miss a call. Just like this past week, Virginia and Auburn, the officials missed the call. Or the New Orleans Saints and Los Angeles Rams in the conference championship in this past NFL playoffs. But, like I said, it's one of those calls that's pretty, you know, it's hard to ignore. Like, it's blatant. And like, it's very explicit. It's right in front of your face. Chris Weber, Chris Weber travels. The same thing happened in this Virginia-Auburn game. The player loses the ball. He grabs the ball with both hands and then starts dribbling again. He travels. They don't call it. Chris Weber, he travels. Officials don't call it. So, he's dribbling up court. And soon, like a deer in the headlights, he 
he dribbles to the right to the offside of the court and and he panics. It's about two, three, you know, North Carolina players there pressuring him, time's ticking, and he calls a timeout. And there's no timeout left. Except this time, you know, uh, vice versa, Michigan still loses. Virginia gets away with their calls, and I'm still, like I said, I Auburn got ripped. They had a phenomenal run in the March Madness. I didn't have him going that far. I had him going out in the Sweet 16, to be honest with you. So kudos to them. But, to, like I said, to lose a game like that where a player's shooting a three and you hardly bump into him, it's a ticky-tack foul. But, again, I understand because it's today's era of gameplay, of college and pro. So it's just, it is what it is. You, you know, a lot of things nowadays, you need a, you know, it's, it's pros and cons to a lot of euphemisms of this era of, you know, a better understanding perhaps to why, you know, coaches need to do this or that. They can't do this. You know, players need to be protected, this and that. I get that to a certain extent, but sometimes you got to let players play. Bad things are going to happen in sports. Players get hurt. Players are going to get concussions in the NFL. I get they're trying to protect them. I get there's cases of that. I understand that. But, you know, like I said, it's the NFL, man. There's contact everywhere. There's a contact in every single play. Linemen are putting in the most work out of any other player on that field. They are clawing, scratching, grinding every single player. Can you, I mean, man, imagine being on a play every single time and just hitting a man. <laughs> six, four, six, five, 300 pounds, just a monster every single play and do that week. You know, week after week, sometimes a Thursday or a Monday. So, like I said, I get, you know, this era of being a little bit more soft and some more euphemisms. I get it to a certain extent, but don't twist my words around either, you know. So, it, I, it's, it, it's, it's in human nature to adapt, to improvise. I it's just in all of us. We're constantly adapting to something. We're constantly evolving. But we're also constantly making excuses for certain type of ways. For, you know, other people. We lack accountability. And humanity itself is very ignorant sometimes. So that's what causes certain kind of plays of being, you know, oh, you know. The college basketball, you know, he touched them. So it's got to be a foul because he was from the three-point line. He made a contact. So it's like, no, man, sometimes you got to let him play. But like I said, the rules are rules, you know, so it is what it is. But um, it's just disappointing how certain games turn out like that. Um, But either way, hey, I mean... It's just, uh, you know, Virginia advances. They'll face Texas Tech in the championship. Uh, Texas Tech, they, you know, they had a phenomenal turnout against Michigan State. Michigan State, they had a great run. I didn't have MSU going that far. Um, like I said, I was, I was really shocked when Duke lost to them. 
Uh, Coach Izzo had a solid run. There was a couple, three, four seasons where, you know, he did struggle. He was struggling to get out of the first round or even second round sometimes. So like I said before, a couple of podcasts ago, I think he was feeling that pressure to mount up on him Uh, because it's been 19 seasons, I think, uh, the last national title that he's won at Michigan State. So it's like, yeah, you're a great, you know, you're he's he's a good coach, but it's like is he exactly great uh, compared to you know a Roy Williams or a Mike Shashesky? Not exactly. He's not exactly John Wooden or you know the the coaches of that I just listed previously. It's just you know he's not in that type of level. He's a good coach. He'll be a Hall of Famer, but he's not on the level of you know Duke, North Carolina. Kentucky, Virginia, but they had a solid run, not, you know, not taking anything away from Michigan State, good for them, you know, and maybe, hey, maybe next year, you know, it's, you know, maybe 20 seasons is a lucky number, but uh, with that being said, I'm going to take a little break, and you are listening to Engine Reserve Podcast. Welcome back. This is Injured Reserve. So, <laughs> evidently, controversy has just been the trending thing lately. Um, head coach at Alabama College Football, Nick Saban, stated in a conference, you know, in an interview, whatever you want to call it, that he believes that, you know, kids are on his program or just in college football. Are leaving too early. Now, for those who don't know, college football, you have to play three seasons, and then you have the right, you know, whether you want to complete your senior year or go off into the NFL draft. College basketball, you know, guys like Coach K don't have that, you know, luxury. College basketball is dip, you know, it's it makes sense to be different because you know, college football, it's one thing of development and make improvement on your skills, especially in a physical sport like the NFL. You know, prepping for the NFL, I should say. Uh, basketball, you know, it's not as rough and tough, so I get it. That's why I'm for kids that, you know, shouldn't have to participate one season in college basketball. They should, you know, have the right to go straight into the pros if they are that type of talent like a Kevin Garnett uh, Kobe Bryant or LeBron James, but with that being said, uh, I just don't get why Coach Saban is complaining. <laughs> you know, he's he's made a remarkable success at the program at Alabama. His coaching career is off the charts. He's about he's won 41 in like 21 losses. He's 14 10 in bowl games. He has six national titles. He's won five titles in the past 10 seasons. And I don't know why he's struggling, you know, he's winning, winning, wincing and whining. Like, I, I don't get that. Like, yeah, man, it's just, it's, it truly, you know, no doubt 
it's like they people say it's just like once you are able to appreciate the little things in life your your positivity your type of energy changes significantly and feel a lot better about things and it's true that's why i don't get with the whole a b thing you know you go to oakland you get out of that quote-unquote toxic environment you get 30 million dollars guaranteed and you're still whining i don't get it but not to 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 be off track nick saban you're getting damn near 10 mil 10 million dollars on your contract a season to be honest i think it's more like eight and a half nine mil but close to that (laughs) you're making bank he needs to realize that these kids you know, it's a gateway. So it's like when you get recruited to Alabama or Georgia or Clemson or Ohio State or Michigan or Notre Dame or whatever it may be, this is a gateway. Not every kid, you know, they, they have a dream of going to the NFL. Not everyone is on that same type of level of like, you know, play ball and go to school, graduate, and then go pro. Not everyone has that same type of mentality. Not that I'm not saying some kids that do that is bad. Good for them. Kudos to you. You know, but some kids, you know, they have to do it because it is required before going pro, and that's fine. If they want to forego their senior season, totally understand it. If they want to forego that senior season because they know they're only gonna get a fourth or fifth round draft pick, or uh, yeah, be in the fourth or fifth round, that's fine. So they get a you know a small contract of 500 grand for a season, or two seasons. That's cool, you know. You some players, you know, they realize like, you know what, I'm 21 or whatever it may be, 20, 21. I just completed three years at Bama, Clemson, whatever it may be. You being a player, you have to put yourself in that position, and you got to understand like, you know what, like, it's like yeah, you know. They, you know, scouts are telling me I can go fourth, fifth round right now in the NFL draft. They want to improve my stock and get a possibly, you know, a better contract, or do I take what I can't, or do I take the risk of getting hurt next season and just lower my draft stock or not be drafted at all? So I understand their thought process. You know, if I want to go pro and you know see it through, hey, by all means. You're your own, you're, you are your own man. You are your own person. I'm not going to tell you what you should and should not do because I'm not God. So that this is a, this is a tough look on Saban. Because um, he needs to understand that, like, yeah, he's got all this success. He's got all these championships, these achievements, coach of the years, this and that. He needs to understand, like, hey, man, there's other schools out there now, too. That, you know, other kids are going to see this and they're going to be like, uh, you know, do I really want to play for a coach like that that frowns upon that? That doesn't understand that, you know, your school is just a gateway to get me to where I want to be. You know, he needs to, he just needs to understand that times change. Again, like I've said before and I'll say it again, these coaches nowadays have to improvise, adapt and overcome and understand that things are different nowadays when it comes to sports. So I understand other players, you know, opposition of wanting to forego their senior season. Because if I, if someone told me like, hey, at best you can go third, 
worst, you can go fifth in the NFL draft right now if you forego your senior season. I'd be like, all right, cool. You know, maybe improve the stock a little bit once you go to the, you know, the combine, this and that. You know, raise a few eyebrows, you know, and see see how things turn out. Either way, you know, you know what? Hey, I'm about to get a job. I'll put in the work. I'll get, you know, whatever contract they give me. It's some guarantee, you know, at least it's some money coming through finally. I don't have to go to school. I don't have to do the, the daily grind of just being a student, having to make, you know, forcing myself to make the qualifications of you got to do this, you got to do that, of, uh, you know, just being a student. They want to go pro. They want to be an athlete. So, hey, kudos to them. So, like I said, Coach Saban needs to understand that some players aren't going to do that. So, it is what it is. And I think that this could be... I, I, don't, I don't know how the recruiting class is right now. So, But I think, you know, it's going to be a bad look on some players. Like, oh, so you want me to stay all four seasons, you know, even though it's just like you're getting paid eight and a half mil a season. You're getting paid eight and a half million dollars a year. And you're going to look at me and you tell me you're, you're going to care about my future. So are you going to care if you want me to come back for a fourth season and say if I get hurt, then what? Where does my season go? It's like my plans was the NFL, not, you know, do the college thing. So it's just, you know, uh, he needs to understand that, you know, a lot of coaches do. If you don't now, hey, maybe it's time to hang it up, you know, hang up the headset, call it a day. It's over. So times are different. Coaching, athletes, stipulations of sports, everything is, it's, you know, becoming significantly different than it was 10, 20, 30 years ago. You know, you, you can't, you know, it's like the NFL, it, the hit and helmet to helmet rule. I, I don't agree with it because sometimes, you know, there's plays where a wide out, a linebacker, a defensive back, safety, whatever it may be, are about to make a collision and they can't, they both can't stop on the dime. They both can't contain, you know, they they can't do that. It's a fast paced sport. Sometimes helmet to helmet is going to happen. It's not intentional. I understand it's, you know, it's encouraged not to happen, but sometimes in a fast paced sport like that or college, it's going to happen. But like I said, I, there's always going to be, you know, controversial uh, annotations of, you know, trying to make things better and needing to understand that sometimes in contact sports or whatever it may be, sometimes, you know, a little hit here and there, you got to let the kids play. But it is what it is. And, you know, but who knows? Like I said, I think, you know, Nick Saban, I think he just needs to reflect a little bit, kind of chill out, just like Coach K, you know, once they lost to Michigan State, he's like, eh, he's like, maybe I need to go back to the drawing board on this whole one and done rule. So it's like, no, 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 you're doing just fine. It's just, you like the accountability of taking some charge on the offensive play calling when it came to Duke. He had the RJ Barrett and Zion. I mean, yeah, that, I don't see how he's, I, I don't know. Um, I, I think, I don't know what the odds on Duke to win it all, but I'm sure it was pretty much, you know, 
they were probably four to one entering the March Madness. I don't know. I don't know how that whole work, how that works out in Vegas odds. <sighs> but, um, but yeah. Excuse me. But um, either way, um, coaches nowadays need to understand that things are always meant to be, and it is what it is. Uh, To switch things up, um, WrestleMania 35 concluded last night. I didn't watch it, but I did see a few highlights. So supposedly... um, Brock Lesnar was the first match, I believe. And he's facing a man named Seth Seth Rollins. And for those who don't know, Seth Rollins is one of those young up-and-comers. He's been he's been in the game for you know, he's a solid veteran now, maybe you know, five years. So he ended up winning the Universal title against Brock Lesnar. It was a short match, it was the first match of the night, it was two, three minutes, that was that. So Supposedly, Brock Lesnar is rumored to possibly take a break or maybe departure from the company of WWE and rumored that he's making a comeback yet again into the UFC. Here's here's the thing. He's rumored to come back to the UFC and face heavyweight champion Daniel Cormier. That'd be one of their big headlines of the year of 2019. Cormier's getting old, so he's probably eventually going to retire sometime at the end of this year. Excuse me. He just turned 40. He's getting there. You know, he's down the end of his road. I think he's 40, somewhere around there. And Nolan Brock Lesnar, the name, the name itself draws attention. It always draws attention. I give him kudos for that, but I just don't understand why Brock Lesnar, you know, is just... I don't know why, you know, Dana, Dana hasn't said anything. The UFC president hasn't said anything. And uh, supposedly he's, he's said in the past that he denies these type of reports. But Dana and, you know, Lesnar, they're good friends. So them entertaining the idea of him coming back, I won't be surprised. They've, you know, Dana's always been that his, you know, his go-to guy for headline, which isn't bad. I'm not saying it's bad. Because he does, he draws in the, the UFC pay-per-views. He does draws in a lot of attention. What I don't get is, I don't, you know, it's going to be iffy. Because, I mean, say things work out and, you know, I, I feel like UFC is lacking, like, what is wrong and what is right when it comes to their used uh, drug testing. You know, John Jones had had his little controversial thing uh, back in 2018 when um, he was fighting, I believe, I think it was Anthony Smith, and they, they literally had to move the headline. They had to change the location from Vegas, from Nevada to, like, California because Vegas... Uh, Nevada Drug Commission would not approve John Jones. So it's just like, that's suspect as hell. So it's just like, I'm not taking away from John Jones's what he's accomplished, but it's suspect. It doesn't look good. So there's a few asterisks there. Lesnar, you know, he's he fit in his last fight, he beat Mark Hunt, and then it got 
changed to no contest because originally he won by decision. And that was the last time he fought was UFC 200. But <laughs> he ended up testing positive for steroids. Or to be technical, it was something else. But it was pretty much around... It was along the lines of performance-enhancing drugs. And so it's just... I feel like UFC, you know... These recent allegations on what they do for drug testing is ridiculous. Prime example. About two years ago, around this time, back in March, but or it's April now, excuse me, but around March 2017, uh, there was a fight, fight UFC fight night, Vitor Belfort versus Kevin Gastelum. Middleweight, uh, middleweight division. Kevin Gastelum, uh, I'm probably chopping his last name. He beat Vitor Belfort, and it, it got changed to no contest later. Why? It's because he tested positive for marijuana. And it's just like, it's so ass backwards. It doesn't make any sense. I don't like those rules of used to, and they need to figure something out. It's like, you would think, you know, testing for marijuana would maybe possibly put you at a disadvantage, maybe? I don't know. But either way, it got changed to no contest. And so... It's just, I don't know. I don't agree with those type of things. I hate, it's like, how you get test, you get changed this man's win over Vitor Belfort because he tested positive for marijuana. And so you're putting him on the same type of level as someone that's testing positive for steroids. And even if you do, sometimes you change it to no contest. And even if they do test positive, they all of a sudden be like oh okay so Nevada doesn't approve you let's try California so they can approve you so just like IE John Jones so I don't know the whole stipulations of how that worked out when John you know when that whole John Jones fiasco happened back in 2018 supposedly it was like a minta like I can't remember the exact scientific word for it but it was like a pentagram Whatever, it's like literally like maybe a teaspoon. It was like he tested positive for whatever it was. And you take a teaspoon of salt and pour it in a big ass pool. And that's what he tested positive for. That's how they got it. That that was left of his system supposedly of what he tested positive last time for whenever his last fight was. I believe it was when he faced Cormier. Uh, second time around and he beat him and again he tested positive but I don't know but either way (coughs) UFC (coughs) excuse me 236 coming up Uh, speaking of Kevin Gastelum he is he is one of the co-headliners of UFC 236 this weekend Uh, UFC 236 is co-headlined between Israel Adesanya in Kevin and Max Holloway in Dustin Poirier too. Um, it's being held in Atlanta, Georgia this uh, <coughs> this upcoming weekend. Uh, I got full faith in Max Holloway. That dude, he's a bad man. The lightweight championship, he, it's just no one can touch him. He's definitely he he can be definitely in contention for arguably the greatest lightweight champion of all time. Uh, the dude is just. He's ferocious. He's got he's got punching power almost to the equivalent of like a middleweight or uh, you know a welterweight. You know when he so he's got he's got 
he's just his hands are so goddamn quick and people just think like you know they don't expect it until it actually happens so i not taking anything away from dustin poirier but it ain't gonna happen this time i i think max holloway though he's very strategic at the same time so you know i i don't think he'll finish i think he'll just tear dustin apart and he'll win by unanimous decision the Ket and the Cole headline of Kevin and Israel for the middleweight championship with the interim title. I believe, you know, Israel Adesanya, I praised him before. I, th- I think he takes on Kevin. Uh, no doubt, I think he finishes, finishes him. He surprises a lot of people, raises a lot of eyebrows. Because I just think he's the, ne- he's the next big thing in the middleweight division. He's a bad boy, man. There's no one that can touch this dude. He's just, like I said, he's the Anderson Silva 2.0. No one can touch him. He's got that, he's got that Bruce Lee swagger, like enter the dragon. You know, he walks into that dojo and and he's just like, we can do this at one of a time. We can do this all together. So that's, that's that type of mentality Israel Adesanya has. So I think he finishes Kevin. I think, if anything, I say second or third round, but with that being said, hey folks, I appreciate everyone listening in. Uh, happy Monday. I know the week is just beginning, so but nonetheless, I hope everyone has a great day. Sun is finally out, somewhat getting there, partly cloudy, but not as cold. 65 degrees today here in Michigan. Finally, the Midwest is not, you know, I'm not freezing my ass off, but with that being said, I hope everyone has a happy Monday, and God bless.